We're going to, uh, we're going to open our Bibles now to uh, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verse 13. So Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Continuing on, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice to see you. My name is Paulo. I haven't met you. Uh, Jesus says the most extraordinary verse in Luke 12, verse 34. We just had it read to us. It's on the screen as well. He says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's just think about that one verse. The things you treasure in life, that will grab your heart and show you what's going on in here. I want to say if you've grasped this verse and you believe this verse and you lived this verse and you breathed this verse, your life will be so different and you'll be so liberated. And the word treasure, the word treasure just means something that you, that, you, that you live for, something that you love, something that you long for. The things in life which you think, if I just had that, then I'd be really happy. And it could be gold, it could be gadgets, it could be homes or holidays, it could be sporting achievements, it could be educational success, it could be anything. 
the things that you love in life, the things that you think, if I just had that one thing, then I'd be really, really satisfied and happy in life. What is it for you? What's your treasure that you just love so much in life? See, lots of good things can become treasures. Now, money is a really good thing. Gift from God so that we can care for others and be generous and provide for those in need. But money can become a treasure when we start to find our identity in it and security in it. Family can be a, a treasure. It's a good thing having a family if God has blessed you with that. But when you start to idolise your kids and life involves making them happy, it can become a treasure. A property is an obvious treasure in this part of the world, isn't it? Longing for the perfect house in the perfect suburb with the perfect postcode. And I've watched many people who have longed for that and lived for that and they have squeezed out everything else in life to get that one thing, including God. And look what Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What he's saying there is that, the, that the, your treasures are like a, a window into your heart. And so I can't tell what you're thinking or what you're feeling or what you're believing, but I can look at the stuff that you put around you and the stuff that you love in life, and I can have a good stab at what your heart is doing right now. Jesus is almost saying, show me your visa statement and I'll show you your heart. Show me your receipts or your photographs or your social media and I'll tell you what you really love in life. And again, if you place more importance on your property postcode than providing for God's church, that's where your heart is. If you place more time reading the stocks and share market or reading books on cars and holidays than you do the word of God, that's where your heart is. But if you love hearing about your compassion child in Indonesia or church planting in Arnhem Land or gospel growth in India or in Africa, that's where your heart is. And Martin Lord Jones says this, he says, I do not cling to the things of this world. I do not cling to the things of this world. They do not become the center of my life. I don't live for them or dwell on them constantly. They do not absorb my life. On the contrary, I hold them very loosely. As I do this, I'm steadily securing and safely laying up for myself treasures in heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying to us, church, tonight. Sit loosely to the things of this earth and love the things of heaven. You heard that distinction before, you know, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. And what Jesus says very clearly is that you've got treasures here on earth. Whatever it is for you, your gold, your gadgets, your holidays, your houses, all this stuff that you have around you. But there's a day coming either the day that you die or when Christ returns, whichever is sooner. And all this stuff, you'll leave it all behind and you cannot take it with you. But there's things called the treasures in heaven. What verse 33 says, the, the purses that you yourselves will not, Sorry, purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. 
where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. He's saying live for that day when you stand before God and you see him face to face. And all the things that all your friends and family told you were, were important are not important. But you've got an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. That's worth living for, isn't it? Let me show you how it works. Imagine that tomorrow your boss tells you that he's going to send you or she's going to send you to overseas for three months on secondment. Let's say Hong Kong. Says to Hong Kong, he's going to triple your wages for three months. You're going to earn a mozza. Uh, you've got a hotel room over there. You've got a wage. And you can send money back to Australia so you can enjoy it when you come home. But there's one, one rule. You can't bring a single thing back on that plane with you. Nothing in your hand can you bring back to Australia with you. Now, knowing that you can't bring stuff back, I don't think you're going to spend three months decking out your hotel room in the most expensive furniture or buying the most expensive clothes or the most expensive jewellery, knowing you're going to leave it all behind. You'd be crazy to do that, wouldn't you? And yet, we surround ourselves in this temporary world with stuff that we can't take with us. And it's utterly crazy. It's not just crazy. It's foolish. I hope you know that only three things will last into eternity. Only three things will last into eternity. What are those three things? God. <laughs> He's there for all eternity. The word of God, because the Bible says the word of God will never change, never fade away, it's eternal. So we've got the God himself, we've got the word of God. What's the third thing? The people of God. The people who've come to know Christ, they will last for all eternity. Nothing else will last. And when you've grasped that, it just changes the way that you see the treasures of this earth. So let's start with the folly. The folly of, of treasures on earth. Uh, Jesus tells this parable to show how stupid it is to focus on stuff. Uh, verse 13, someone in the crowd, so Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and they say to him, teacher... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So you've got these two brothers in the crowd and they're fighting over money, as is often the case. And Jesus says, man, who appointed me a judge? I'm not here to act as your arbiter, but I am here to teach you. You've called me a teacher, verse 13, so let me teach you. He said to them, verse 15, watch out, be aware, believe in this danger, be on your guard. Be alert, be vigilant against all kinds of greed. Greed in all its many and varied forms. And here's the key principle. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So let me ask you, do you believe that verse? Do you believe that life is not just about all the stuff that you have around you? Do you believe it will never satisfy you? Do you know that? And I have to ask because we live in a, a city and a suburb where we've got this thing what I call possession obsession. We're obsessed with stuff. We have houses full of stuff and cupboards and wardrobes full of clothes and trinkets and yet you go to Westfield and there's more people buying more stuff for their already stuffed houses. 
We fill our homes with new gadgets that we don't need and will hardly use. So by the age of 20, the average person will have watched over 2 million commercials for stuff. And the average American spends six hours a week shopping for stuff and 45 minutes playing with his kids. It's crazy. Tonight's a good night to grasp it. It's Sunday. Sunday is cancelled cleanup night. Just get in your car tonight, drive around Kiribati and North Sydney and Mossman and Cremorne and Neutral Bay and see all the crap that's lying on the side of the road. All this stuff that's been stuffed into people's houses they don't want anymore. Or take a trip to the tip and see computers and furniture and sporting stuff and cars and boats and clothes, all the stuff that we laboured for and fought over and sacrificed our time for and it's just dumped. Let me be very clear, Jesus does not condemn wealth per se. It's okay to be rich. There's lots of good, godly, rich people in the Bible in our church family. But he does warn us about the danger of hoarding our wealth. The danger of finding our security in stuff and identity in this stuff. It's not a sin to have stuff. It's a sin to worship all this stuff. And so Jesus tells this parable. It's in verse 16. Jesus told in this parable, the, the ground of a certain rich man. So he's rich because he owns a field and he owns bars, he owns property. And the ground... Yields an abundant harvest, more crops, more grain, more food. And as the man talks to himself in verse 17, he thinks to himself, I've got a problem. What am I going to do? I have no place to store all these new crops. I've got more stuff but no more space. And then he has a solution in verse 18. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I'll store all my surplus grain. I've got a storage solution it's one of the fastest growing industries in Sydney in the last 10 years. Storage. Storage warehouses popping up all over the place because fools like you and I, we get all our stuff that we can't fit into our houses anymore and we pay somebody else to store all our stuff for us. And we're never going to use it. But that's his solution. Bigger barns, bigger barns, more stuff, more storage. And he sets out his goals, his life plans. Again, he's talking to himself in verse 19. I'll say to myself, or I'll say to my soul, that's what the word means. Oh, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Good on you. You've made it in life. It's time to retire. Time to take life easy. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry and have fun. And we might add, go on a cruise and wander down to Balmoral Beach and sip your Chardonnay. And, and I think that we... Look up to people like this. We say, good on you, well done you. You know, you've been wise, you've been wealthy, you've been successful with your startup company and you're financially savvy with your super funds. And we actually like these kind of people because we like people who've got nice stuff. But that's not Jesus' verdict in verse 20. Jesus does not say, well done. What does he say, verse 20? He says, you fool. You idiot. Or more literally, you damn fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get all this stuff that you prepared for yourself? Let me ask you, why has this man been a fool? 
Why has he been stupid? I think there's two reasons. One, he's been selfish. Uh, for this man, life evolves around him and his stuff. He's living without God in this world. He hasn't recognized it was God who blessed him and God who gave him the wealth. Do you spot in verse 16 how it's the ground that yields an abundant harvest? God's ground yields this crop. Not this man's hard work or strategic planning. It's God's ground. It's God's crops. And in verses 17 to 19, in these three short verses, there's one word repeated nine times. It's the word me, my, mine. Because this man thinks life is all about himself, his crops, his hard works, his success, his rewards, his retirement. And he gives no thought to other people, no thought to sharing it or stewarding it or supporting people in need. He's just selfish. And he's got the wrong security. That's the second problem. He placed all his security in the wrong things. For him, it's early retirement, looking forward to eating and drinking and relaxing and cruising the world, and he could not see beyond him being in this world. He just presumed he'd be here to enjoy all his stuff. There's no concept of God or death or judgment or a spiritual life. That's the real problem. It's not a storage problem. It's a spiritual problem. That phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, comes many times in the Bible, and it always means to live life well as if there is no God. And the irony in this parable is that this man thought that he'd lived for many years, but he's just got a few hours left to live. And he wants to keep it all for himself, but he leaves it all behind. And God's verdict in verse 21 is very damning. He says, this is how it will be with Whoever, that might be you or me, whoever stores up stuff for themselves, treasures on earth, but is not rich toward God, not valuing God, not loving God and knowing God and being known by God, not valuing eternal things more than the temporal fleeting things, not using their earthly riches for eternal beauty and eternal joys. A life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, do you know that and do you believe that? And I have to ask you again because sometimes I wonder. It's hard to tell in this church and in this city and this suburb because for many of us, including me, I sat here writing this sermon in a house full of stuff. I arrived in Sydney 17 years ago. I sold up in London and I just sold all my stuff or gave it away to people in need. It was liberating. And I arrived with one backpack. That was it. <laughs> I moved house last year with an extra large truck full of stuff that I accumulated in the last 17 years. So often we just view life through where we live or the, the brand of our gadgets or the labels on our clothes and we're told, constantly told how much we need in our super fund to have a comfortable life, whatever that means. Uh, John Wesley was once shown around this amazing estate, this amazing property. Massive house, beautifully decorated, perfect gardens with this beautiful lake. And the owner asked this question, he said, what do you think? What do you think? And John Wesley said this, I think you're going to have a really hard time leaving all this behind. I think you have a hard time leaving all this behind. 
Church, I hope you know that money does not buy happiness. It really doesn't. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller, the millionaire or billionaire, once said, once, was once asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And his answer was this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Andrew Carnegie said this, millionaires seldom smile. And that's true. There is a man who's smiling. His name is Alex. He sells the big issue over at Merson's Point train station. He knows and loves Jesus. He's a member of our 330 congregation. It was open mic last Sunday at 330 church and Alex stood up here at this lectern and he shared this story. He was standing selling the big issue just over a week ago. And this family, who he knows well from Milson's Point, they arrive with their suitcases. They live in a penthouse apartment overlooking the harbour. Alex says to his family, where are you off to? He says, oh, we're off to Japan, to our penthouse in Japan. And he says to the kids, are oh, you much looking forward to going on the, on the plane? He says, oh, we're going to plane all the time. It's quite boring, like going on a bus. Are you much looking forward to Japan? Oh, it's just another penthouse with another view. And the mother or the wife looked at Alex and says, oh, we've got $30 million in our bank account. But you smile much more than my husband ever does. And Alex said these words, that's because I'm rich in Christ. I've got no money, but I've got Christ. And I'm richer than you are, and I'm happier. Isn't that amazing? And it's true. It is so true. Money does not make you happy. Money can be a hazard. There are many people who have won the lotto who are miserable. That's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, you'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. We cannot take it with us. It does not bring us happiness and it will not last. What lasts is being rich towards God, valuing God, loving God, valuing eternal things. God, his word and his people, they're the things that last. So I think church, you need to pray. Pray against possession obsession. Pray against this mentality of bigger and bigger barns. And pray that we would value Jesus and his kingdom above all things. There was an African visitor being shown around a big city, a beautiful city with beautiful homes. And he said this, to be better off is not to be better. And that is true, to be better off is not always to be better. To be rich towards God, that is the best thing. That's the folly, the stupidity of focusing on, on your treasures here on earth. What's the opposite of folly? What's the opposite of being a fool? It's being a person of faith. That's our second point tonight. Faith, believing, trusting in these treasures in heaven. 
living life, knowing you're going to meet your maker who cares for you, who provides for you, and is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I love verse 32. Look at it with me. He says, do not be afraid. Don't worry. Little flock. Isn't that beautiful? Little flock. This picture of these little sheep. Sheep with knees and burdens and struggles and problems and pains. But he switches metaphor mid-sentence. Don't be afraid, little sheep, little flock. And he moves from the shepherd, not to a shepherd, but to a father. A father who cares for his children. Your father who knows you, who loves you, who sees your pain, who sees your sorrow, who sees your needs and who can provide. You have a father who has been pleased to give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He's been pleased to give you forgiveness and eternal life and a hope that will not perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. He's given you the best thing ever. So trust him. Have faith. And when you realize life is not about stuff, you stop your fretting, you stop your stressing, and you don't worry. He's talking to his disciples in verse 22, and he says, remember the disciples left their home, left their jobs, left everything, they have nothing. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and your body more than clothes. Just so you know, the word for worry there is actually the word that is used when Jesus speaks to Martha. Remember that? It's actually the word for sort of being distracted or having the wrong priorities or the wrong focus. It's not talking about anxiety. It's talking about your wrong focus, your wrong priorities. Don't focus on the stuff of this world. Don't be obsessed with food and drink and clothing because our world is obsessed with how we look and what we eat and we talk endlessly about dinner parties and dresses and yet we need basic necessities we, we need that stuff but we don't need all the other, other luxuries in life he says seek the kingdom verse 31 set your eyes on God and his glory and his people and his word the eternal things and all these things will be given to you as well God knows your need and he will provide I love this quote by Legion Duncan. It says, Our eyes are set too low. Our desires are set below that which God has prepared for us. Jesus says, Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom because what does the Father want to give you? He wants to give you his kingdom. Now, you want a Lexus or a Tesla or whatever car you want, and God wants to give you the kingdom. You want a bigger house and God wants to give you the kingdom. You want a smarter husband or a better looking wife and he wants to give you the kingdom. You want to be important but he wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you far, far more than you have your heart set on. You don't want something that is really going to satisfy you until you seek the kingdom of God. Same thing as saying have faith. Trust him. Set your eyes onto him. If you ever doubt if God can care for you and provide for you, well, just look at the birds of the air. Become a bird watcher. Look at the eagle that swoops for his prey. Look at the minor birds feeding their little young in the nest. Look at the, the seagulls who are grabbing your picnic lunch at Balmoral. Or look at verse 24, at the ravens. Just so you know, the ravens were the unclean birds, the dirty birds looked down on by the Jews. Consider these dirty birds. 
that they don't sow or reap or they have no storeroom or no barn. But every day God provides for them, God feeds them. And this is, this is the crux of it, verse 26. Yet God feeds them, sorry, verse 24, and how much more valuable are you than the birds? Love that. You are more valuable than birds of the air. Why is that? Because God is their creator, but he's not their father. God is their God, but he's not their heavenly father. They're they're not children of God, they're just birds of the air. And if God provides for the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for you? Because you're his son, you're his daughter. He loves you, he cares for you. Imagine if I, you came out of my house and I I had built in the backyard a, a, a feeding trough for the birds. And I, every day I put out seed and, and nuts and grain for the birds. And I walk back into my house and I starve my own boys. You say, that's evil. You just don't do that. You, you feed your kids. So if God feeds the birds of the air, then of course he's going to feed us. Of course he's going to care for us. Of course he's going to provide for us. And if bird watching is not your cup of tea, how about flowers? Consider the wildflowers, verse 27. Take a, take a trip into the countryside and, and look at these fields covered in these beautiful flowers blooming in all their glory. And they look lovely, they smell lovely, and they are more splendid than Solomon in all his glory. Verse 28, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, that's the thing about flowers, they don't last long. They bloom one day, they're burnt the next How much more, that phrase again, how much more will God clothe you? Your God cares for you. If God clothes the flowers which are destined for garbage, won't he clothe his children who are destined for glory? And he's saying you're much more valuable than the birds or the the flowers. So trust God. Trust God to provide. A little challenge at the end of verse 28, you of little faith. I don't think he's talking about the size of your faith there. I think he's talking about the size of your God that you put your faith in. Because if you have a little God who can't meet your needs, who doesn't know your needs, who is somehow helpless, of course you're going to strut your stuff and stress and be anxious. But if your God is big, if your God is enormous and he sees everything and he knows you so intimately, then you're going to have your faith in him, aren't you? That's what he says, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about those things. And when you put your identity and your security and your focus and your preoccupation on the stuff of this world, he says, you're just like a pagan. You're acting as though you don't know God. Verse 30, for the pagan world runs after all such things. They find their security and their identity in their possessions, their position and their status and their stuff. But we're not pagans. We have a Father in heaven who knows what we need. We are children of a heavenly Father who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good and all-loving. So seek his kingdom. So how do we do it? How do we sit loosely to the things of this earth and focus on the things of heaven? 
What's one thing, just one thing that you could do this week? Well, Jesus tells you actually in this passage. Jesus tells you what to do, it's just that we don't like what he tells us to do. Because <laughs> it's so radical, isn't it? I'm talking about verse 33, look at it with me. What does he tell us to do? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's radical, isn't it? That is so radical, we sit here thinking he can't be speaking literally. Why not? Why not? I I don't think he's saying that every disciple sells every single item they own and we all live in this commune like a communist state. But I think he is saying, look around you at all the non-essential stuff. He's not talking about food or water or clothes. He's saying, look at all these luxury things that you surround yourself with. Sell it. Sell some of it. And with the proceeds from yourselves, don't buy more stuff for yourself. Give it to those in need. I walked into our garage yesterday and just saw boxes of stuff that we are storing. I'm thinking, what are we doing? So maybe have a garage sale. Put all the stuff that you haven't used for years and won't use again and, and sell it and and don't buy more stuff for yourself. Give it to Anglicare. Give the money to Anglicare. Give it to the drought-stricken farmers. Give it to the refugees. Give it to the people who have nothing in life. Go into Gumtree and sell all that stuff that's lying around or the clothes in your wardrobe that you're never going to wear. And with the proceeds that you get, give it to those in need. It's that mindset. It's that switch from greed to grace. Because listen carefully, greed seeks to gain more. But grace always seeks to give more away. Greed seeks to gain more stuff and grace always seeks to give more away. And we as a church could do so much good right now if we used our stuff for good, not for greed. We could make a massive difference. Think of the people we could help and the gospel work we could do if we just sold some of our stuff. I remember speaking to a Christian couple in their 70s. And they were wealthy, very wealthy, but they lived in an ordinary house, an ordinary suburb, and drove an ordinary car. And their grown-up kids kept saying to their mum, dad, why don't you upscale? Why don't you buy a nicer house? And why don't you renovate? And why don't you go on more holidays? And they said, because none of that stuff excites me. Now what excites me is serving God in his kingdom. What excites me is being generous towards others. I love that. So much joy, so much good we can do as we store up treasures in heaven. Because please remember this, that heaven is your home, not this earth. The Bible says we are pilgrims, we are strangers, we are aliens in this world, but we are citizens of heaven and we're heading to the better country, the heavenly one, and you can't take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead. 
John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. And Jesus says these words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's so black and white. No middle road, either your heart's on heavenly things or on earthly things. Please, can I beg you, sit loosely to the things of this world. Live for the kingdom, for God, for his word, and for his people. I'll close with this quote from John Piper. He says, God, this is all yours. You made my fields prosper. Show me how to express with my riches that you are my true treasure and these riches are not. I already have enough. I don't need a bigger and bigger safety net. I don't need better food, better drink, better parties. I do want to make merry, but not in self-indulgent parties with rich retirees. I want to make merry with the people who have been helped by my generosity and the people who have come to know Christ. Because you taught me, Lord, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive.